Welcome to The Encouraging Word, a podcast from Ascension Lutheran Church in Waterloo, Iowa. In our episodes, you'll find sermons, services, and in-depth Bible studies to help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or want to connect, reach out to us at alcwloo at mchsi.com. Thank you for joining us. Let's begin, everybody, with a word of prayer. Time is quickly moving. It's all right. All right, let's pray. Lord God, you've caused all the Holy Scriptures to be written so that we can learn from them. Help us to read, mark, learn, and take to heart what you would have to say to us in your Holy Word so that by the patience and comfort you offer there, we can embrace and hold fast to the hope of eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. 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 All right, so welcome back to our class here. Uh, we've had a couple weeks off. So here's, here's the plan for the next month-ish in terms of topics. Today we're doing the person of Christ. Oh, turn it off. I know. Hit the wrong one. Wow. Okay, oh, yeah. Today we're doing the person of Christ. Next, um, next week we'll do the, um, the, uh, the works of Christ. What does he do? The week after we'll do grace, gospel, and justification. After that we will talk about um, the, uh, the office of the ministry and the office of the keys. Then we will talk about the church. And after the, the lesson on the church, Pastor Lindbergh will give us a lesson on um, the history of Lutheranism in North America, the AALC, and, and Ascension, our church. So that'll be, so we'll, we'll, look, we'll learn first about the church in general, and then we'll learn about our church in particular. So that is, and that gets us to about February-ish, 18th. So hopefully that's good. Today we're doing, we're in the deep end of the pool again. There's two deep ends of Christian theology. The first one is the Trinity, and today's the second. We, um, I want to start. Um, so the Bible truth for today the, the main point, in case you get lost in the weeds, here's the main point. Our Lord Jesus Christ is both truly God and truly man, having two natures which are united in his one divine person. A Bible verse, a memory verse for this, is Colossians 2.9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Our article is Article 3 of the Augsburg Confession. And I'm going to read it here to you. Article 3 is on page 4 and 5. Um, article 3, about the Son of God. Our churches also teach that the Word, that is the Son of God, took upon himself human nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Though, therefore, he has two natures, one divine and the other human. They are united in one person and cannot be separated. Thus, there is only one Christ, true God and true man, who was born of the Virgin Mary. He truly suffered, was crucified, died, and was buried. He went through all this so that he could restore us to peace with the Father and be a sacrifice, not just for original sin, but also for all other sins. The Word, that is Christ, also went down into hell, he truly rose again the third day. 
Afterward, he went up into heaven so that he might sit on the right hand of the Father. There he rules forever and has power over all creatures, making holy all those that believe in him. He does this by sending the Holy Spirit into their hearts to rule, comfort, and make them alive, as well as defending them against the devil and the power of sin. This same Christ will openly come again to judge the living and the dead, etc., as the Apostle Creed says. So we're going to take this in two, in, in two sessions. The first session is who Jesus is, and the second session we'll talk about what he does. And when we next week we'll look at it under three headings, that Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king. Um, but today we're, today we're looking at um, something else. So an opening question. Is Mary the mother of God? Yes or no? No. 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 Raise your hands if you agree. No. Oh, I forgot to bring it. Oh. I am going to, because I forgot to bring my book of Concord. I'm going to go to a website that you can go to anytime you want. Bookofconcord.org. I am going to click here on the... Formula of Concord, the Epitome, Article 8 on the Person of Christ, Little Paragraph 12. So, 8.12. Hence, we believe, teach, and confess that Mary conceived and bore not a mere man and no, and no more, but the true Son of God. Therefore... She is also rightly and truly is the mother of God. This is, <laughs> Pastor Lindbergh knew the, knew the trick question ahead of time. Now, the, the word mother of God, Theotokos, yes. So, this is, a, this is a trick question. Because the, the statement that Mary is the mother of God has says absolutely nothing about Mary. And it says absolutely everything about the child she bore. If you say Mary is not the mother of God, you're saying that the child she bore is not God. Mm. And that is a big problem. Oh. Right? The Western Church, using Latin, that's uh, we'll call her the, the mother of God. The Eastern Church, as Pastor Lindbergh points out, calls her the one who bore God, the Theotokos, the God-bearer. But this is important, and our Lutheran confessions state um, clearly that Mary is the mother of God, and they're doing that because the, the ancient church taught this. And we're going to unpack why this is the case, but to be, I put that there. Because, um, um, because it's it's it, the statement might confuse you at first. You might be inclined to say no. And once again, I want to highlight that the phrase that Mary is the mother of God does not tell you. It's not exalting Mary. It's telling you about the child she bore. So God created the universe. Yep. Um, since. Mary was his mother, or was she? 
Um, no, no. So give, when we say this is this is good, you know, this is a great great question. This is a great question. When we say that Mary is the mother of God, we do not mean, and, and the, nor does the Roman Catholic Church mean, um, because on this point. Um, uh, on the Trinity and on the person of Christ, there is no divide between us and Rome. Um, there never the, this, that was this was not an issue we broke over. So, um, Mary, when we say Mary's the mother of God, we are not saying that Mary gave birth to God in His divine nature or God in His essence. We are saying that the child she bore is both true God and true man. The child who was in her womb and came out is God, the second person of the Trinity, the Son. Um, and that's why we can say Mary is the mother of God. And that's also the same reason why we can say that God died on the cross. Right? Okay. So if God died on the cross, if you can use that language to say that correctly, and you can and you must, and the scriptures use that language, then by the same language, Mary gave birth to God. Right? That makes her the mother of God. All right. But are you saying, are you saying, that is a Concordian saying that Mary is the mother of God physically? Physically. The mother of God. That, that's yeah, so she's physically the mother of Jesus Christ, who is both God and man at the same time. That's why I'm sorry, but I have a hard time taking that in. I know. This I mean, because... God wasn't created. He was here before the world even existed. Let's get there. Let's so, but I do understand that Jesus was born in humanity form. Okay. Let's let's get there. Let's let's, let's 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 backtrack now and first talk about the deity of Christ. When we talk about God the Father, that God is a father, what does that mean? It means that he has a son, right? Fathers have sons. You or, can't be a father yeah, or unless mothers. Pardon, <laughs> or mothers, yes. But when um, there's a but, yeah. Uh, so when we call God a father, it means he has a child, a son. You can't if you don't have a any children, you're not a father, right? So the so that means something. And when we talk about Jesus as the Son of God, or God the Son, when we talk about Jesus as the Son of God, that means he has a Father. Right? Very simple stuff. If Jesus is the Son of God, that means he has a Father. If God is the Father, that means that he has a Son. You tracking with me so far? All right. Jesus is the Son of God by nature. We are not sons of God by nature. You know, right? We are sons of God, sons and daughters of God by adoption, not by, that, that isn't what we are. So when we say that Jesus is the Son of God, we're not talking about a status he has or a title. We're talking about what he is in and of himself, his very essence, the core of his being. He is the Son of God. Um, um, sons are generally, um, when you talk about what, what a man does and what a woman does, a woman gives birth, 
a man begets. Okay? That's the old ancient way to conceive of it. So, we say Jesus is the only begotten son. Right? God didn't give birth to him <laughs> um, in, in, in that sense. God, um, he is the only begotten son. And your son, your children, uh, are not any less human than you are, are they? No. Your children are just as much human as you are. You've passed on something to, to them, right? You've passed on your nature as a human is passed on to them. You can't give birth to some lesser form of life. Are you, you tracking where I'm going? Mm -hmm. All right. So because you um, were born um, um, and have, you have certain qualities about you and you pass those on to your kids, right? We've talked previously about some of the qualities that God, of God, he's omniscient, he's always existed, he's all-knowing, all-powerful. So if God is to have a son by nature, then his son must also be in every way like God is, or else he's not actually his son. Because like begets like. Humans beget humans. God begets God. So you could say that Jesus is just as much God as the Father is. You tracking with me? Mm -hmm. Alright, this is important. So Jesus is God. This is what we teach. Uh, this is what um, and we have some uh, uh, verses here. Um, let's look at John 1 verse 18. John 1, verse 18, when, when we have someone read that when we have a second. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Great. And that word, one and only, in Greek, um, is better translated by the New King James as only begotten. So you would see the only begotten Son or God, the only begotten God. Some translations might say. So God has a son who he begot, and he is God. He's in the bosom, right? He has a close relationship with him, the closest relationship you can have. Um, just a few chapters over to John chapter 5 and verse 26. John chapter 5, verse 26. For, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And this whole chapter, actually, this whole chapter is very good about this. But what I want you to see here is that the, this, their relationship between Jesus and the Father is one of Father and Son. By nature, this is what Jesus. This is what gets Jesus in trouble, right? Uh, in John eight fifty eight, Jesus says, "Before Abraham was, I am." And what do they do? They pick up stones to stone him. Um, and another, uh, um, on another account, he says, um, "For for which good work are you trying to stone me?" 
I think it's John 10. And they said, what is their response? We don't stone you for a good work, but for blasphemy. You're only a man, you call yourself God. Right? That's John 10. All right, so Jesus, um, there's an error here called modalism. Or I, if you don't want to use the big fancy term, I've put it in brackets. That Jesus, the Son, is just another name for the Father. So it's like saying, well, I, I, I'm a son, and I'm a father at the same time. And it's just two different hats I wear. And some people say that's what it means. So that, that the Father is not a distinct person from Jesus. He, it's, it's just God. Sometimes he's a father, sometimes he's a son, depending on how he acts. So that's wrong. Jesus doesn't pray to himself, right? Are you guys following me? This is the deep, we're in the deep end of the pool here. All right. So we don't, I, we don't have a, a ton of time, and we've covered this before when we covered the Trinity, but I, I, it bears repeating. The acronym HAND, H-A-N-D, tells you that Jesus is honored as God. He has the attributes of God, the names of God. He does the deeds that, that God does. All right? And you can add one more. Then in Revelation, he sits on the seat of God and make it HANDS. Um, but HAND works. Jesus is honored as God. We're in John chapter 5. Just up in verse 23, you see that. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. If Jesus is not God, by nature, that would be blasphemy. Nobody, first commandment, you shall fear, love, you shall have no other gods. Right? Um, so if Jesus is not God, then you should not, then it, then it is wrong for him to say that they would honor him just as he honored God the Father. But if he's God, by nature, then that, that's appropriate. Right? We're, we're um, um, that he's eternal. Um, this was the, God, uh, the we'll use the one uh, from John 1. You don't have to flip there because we just read it on Christmas Day. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And it, without him was not anything made that has been made. So if it's been made, it's been made by the Father and the Son and the Spirit, right? Uh, you see that in you see that in Genesis chapter one. God creates; He creates by His Word, and the Spirit is there hovering over the waters, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's also um, omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. Some of the chap some of the uh, uh, on your own time, you can look up some of those uh, verses um, to, that say that. Uh, Jesus, um, we, I already quoted the I am. Um, in, in, in that list of names, you'll see where the name is applied to God the Father in the Old Testament and where it's applied to Jesus in the New. So Jesus is, can use the same names. Um, and he can, we've already seen in John 1.3, he creates the universe um, and in John 5, 22 and 23, he's, Jesus is the one who judges the world. Okay? There's some, the errors here are these. Um, that Jesus isn't God. He's a lesser God. He's a God. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses next door teach. Um, right? That he's a lesser God. Or an old 
um, an old era called adoptionism, that Jesus was a man and he was adopted to be God. He was a man who did really well and then God kind of said, you're good, I'll make you God. Uh, that was an old error that people taught. Any questions on the deity of Christ? Jesus is God. Pastor. In terms of just your last statement, would, uh, would it be true that the Mormons would be basically adoptionistic in their yeah. theology? Mormons are both adoptionistic and polytheistic. Yeah. Because they believe that um, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are not one being, but three separate beings. And Jesus was at once a man who was adopted into the adopted and became God, deified, if you want to call it that. So that's the, that's the Mormons, the Mormon belief. <coughs> so there's lots of different. And um, if you ever heard of Oneness Pentecostals, Oneness Pentecostals are a group that believes in the modalism heresy. So these 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 errors are out there. And and, and, and so you might encounter them. T.D. Jakes is a big name on TV. He is a heretic. <laughs> um, he believes in modalism. He denies, he denies the Trinity. And Jesus, God, is sometimes the Father, sometimes the Son, and sometimes the Spirit. All right? So you can go, we, have, we have to be discerning. All right? But you know what was um, today? The deity of Christ is uh, what tends to be denied a lot. In the early church, it was exactly the opposite. In the early church, it was the humanity of Christ that people had a hard time with. And so um, Jesus has all of the essential parts of human nature. He has a body. He has a soul. He has a human soul, a human body, a human mind. And a human will. This is, this is very important. He doesn't have sin, but then you don't need to be sin to be truly human. Adam was truly human before he sinned, right? So you don't need to be sin uh, to have sin to be truly human. But Jesus is truly human, like Hebrews says, like us in every way, except without sin. All right. This is this was. Um, you see this? Jesus is called a man. He's got a genealogy. Do you remember seeing the genealogies in the Bible? Right? Yeah. He's got human attributes. He gets tired. He gets hungry. Right? All right. You, you, think this might, you might think this is kind of, well, yeah, he's, he's a man. Of course. He can be killed. He was killed. Right? Okay. But there were some, there were, there's a list of, of a couple er errors here. The first one is that Jesus didn't, wasn't really human. He just looked like he was human. It was a, it was a he was a phantasm. <laughs> All right. Um, the next one is called Apollinarianism, which means that Jesus doesn't have a human soul. He has a divine soul. He is he, so God put His own soul into the human body. All right. Um, Apollo, uh, how many of you, you've heard of? Uh, uh, an apologist, William Lane Craig. Have you heard of him? Some of you? Sounds familiar. Anyway, he's a, he's a modern-day Apollinaire. Right? Um, but if Jesus does not, um, there's an old rule in the early church. It says, what Jesus, what is that which isn't assumed is not healed. 
And that means that if Jesus doesn't have a human soul, then he can't heal our human souls. If he doesn't have the same thing, how many wills does Jesus have? He has two wills. One human and one divine. He has two wills. Um, you see this in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Not what I will, but what you will. So his human nature doesn't want to go to the cross. No, thank you. I don't want my flesh torn from my body. Um, and yet, he does it anyway. Um, so, there's, so, this is important. So the scriptures tell us that Jesus is God, and they also tell us at the same time that he's a human. And even when he is on earth, as a human, he does things in, that only God can do. Right? And that's some of the verses before that we had under the hand tell you that. So the problem, this was a big issue in the church. The church spent five, six hundred years hashing this out, debating this. Pastors, theologians, writers, for 500 years tried to work this out based on these texts. And these errors were some of the options put forward, and, and the church said, no, no, that doesn't work. No, Jesus needs a soul. No, he doesn't just have one will, because then he doesn't heal our human wills, right? So he has to be a human like we are in every single way. Right? Without sin. So if he doesn't have a soul, then he's not. If he doesn't have a human soul and a human will, then he's not like us in every way without sin. I have a will and I have a soul. Right? And so Jesus, if he's like us in every way, he's got to be a real human. If he's going to save you, he needs to be God. Right? Acts 20 28 says that the church is saved with the blood of. Of, with, with the blood, with God's own blood. Now, does God have blood? How does God have blood? Because God is Jesus. Because Jesus is God. Right? Mm -hmm. um, um, our gospel reading for this morning. What did the Magi do? They fell down and worshipped him. And yet, if they were, if Jesus is not God, is that appropriate? No. So we're left with a problem, aren't we? So here is the solution the church has come to. Under Christ is truly God and he is truly human. He is one person. There are not two Jesuses, right? Yes. <laughs> um there's only one Christ, one Son. There are not two of them. And so, this is what we've come up with. That in Jesus, there are two natures. A human nature and a divine nature. And that they are clearly distinguishable to each other. And they are different, right? And those two natures are united together. They're united together, and it's not a mixture, right? It's not like he's part God and part man. 
And if he's only part God and part man, then he's not. Right? He's a mixture of the two, a combination. And that's not that's not what the Bible says. He doesn't say he's part God and partly human. He's true, he's completely human like we are, and he's completely God like God is. Okay? Um, um, each nature keeps the, the, the things that make human nature human nature and the things that make God's nature God's nature, they stay, they stay the same. They're not changed, right? But they're, uni they're not blended together. But they are, the, so the two natures are united together in one person. So Jesus is one person with two natures. This is what we call the personal union of the two natures in Christ. Or the fancy word, the hypostatic union. Um, um, this is uh, this is important. Um, this is important stuff, and I want to linger here for a second. This is what. How many of you have been to a church? We don't have the practice here, uh, uh, but I've been to a church on um, uh, on Trinity Sunday, and I've heard the Athanasian Creed preached or read. Some of you have. Right. Oh, where was it? It was uh, St. John's Lutheran and Montgomery, Iowa. Yeah. Lutheran and Anglican, some Roman Catholic churches have the practice on Trinity Sunday of reading instead of the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, the Athanasian Creed. Mm -hmm. If you go to the, after after this, you, if you have time before the service, if you grab a green hymnal, the text will be in there. Um, it's one of the creeds we confess. Listen to what it says. This, this is how it's. See if this helps you. There's a lot of language here, and it's, it's like I told you, this is the deep end of the pool. It is also necessary for eternal salvation that we faithfully believe that our Lord Jesus Christ became man. For this is the right faith that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is at once God and man. He is God, begotten before the ages of the substance of his father, and he is man, born in the world of the substance of his mother. Perfect God and perfect man, with a reasonable soul and human flesh, equal to the father with respect to his godhood, and inferior to the father with respect to his manhood. Although he is God and man, he is not two Christs, but one Christ. One, that is to say, not by changing the Godhood into flesh, but by taking on humanity into God. One, indeed, not by confusion of substance, but by unity of person. For just as the soul and the flesh are one person, so God and man are one Christ. So the, the early church used the two examples to help us understand this. The first is the, the union between body and soul, right? There's like they're united, but they're not mixed or confused together. Your soul is not your body. Your body is not your soul. They're joined together, and they form you. The other one example they use is if you take what happens when you take a, an iron, an iron poker, and stick it in the fire for long enough. Right, huh? Right, huh? Is it the property... Of iron to get red hot on its own. No, the fire and the iron 
are united in such a way that they don't become, the iron doesn't become fire, the fire doesn't become iron, yet they're, they're and they don't become a third thing, but you can see them joined together. That, those are the two examples that the early church used to try to help us to understand how Jesus can be both truly God and truly human at the same time. Um, any questions there? This is, like I said, deep end of the pool. So is it okay to say that the Son of God is Jesus, basically is Jesus, is God made manifest in human form? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if that's the case, Jesus how can Mary be the mother of God? Because Jesus is God. Mary's the but best Jesus one. was, is God made manifest in well, human form. It, it, um, he, he, his humanity was here on earth. I, although, although he has attributes both of God and human. Um, so I, that kind of confuses me. Yeah. You know, so I'm cloudy on that when you when you yeah. say that. I, yeah. So I, I'm a little cloudy on that. that that's fine. Um, the idea here is this, that the person Jesus Christ has two natures, a human nature and a divine nature. Okay, were you following me? Whatever you say, jumping down to, to page two, on the second column here. Jesus, the one person, our Lord Jesus Christ, the person has all of the properties of both human and divine natures. Okay? He's, the person has all of the properties of both. This is called, whatever is true about the, each of the two different natures is true about the one person, Jesus Christ. This is called the communication of the attributes, communication of the properties. Because that's true, whatever Jesus does he always does as both God and man at the same time. Each doing, each nature doing its own bit. Okay? The humanity and the deity of Christ never act independently of one another. Also, the human nature of Christ is glorified and exalted. So, Jesus' human nature is given... Is given, um, gift uh, is gifted by the divine nature with certain extraordinary properties. Now, Christ's humanity is not transformed into deity, but for you and for your salvation, Jesus does divine things in and through His human nature. However, Jesus often, not always, but often restrains the use of these uh, abilities during His life on earth. A notable example of an exception is the transfiguration. Jesus glows. Right? That's because he's both God and man. After the resurrection, how does Jesus, as a human, with a human flesh, appear in a locked room? Because he's God. Right? Sometimes I've heard people say, well, we'll be like that in our resurrection bodies. No, we will not. We are not God. Only he is God, and God has the ability to go to be on everywhere. Why, why 
do we say that in, with, and under the bread and the wine is the true body and true blood of Jesus Christ? How can uh, you, our human natures are here. If Jesus is truly human, how can Jesus, how can his body be on every altar in the world? Because he's not just a man. He's true God and true man. And the attributes of the divine nature are communicated to the human nature. So Jesus, so Jesus, without stopping to be God, or without stopping to be man, um, is also God at the same time. This is where we differ from all the other Protestant churches. This is the fundamental difference. When Luther and Zwingli got together, and Luther realized that Zwingli did not believe in the real presence in the Lord's Supper, that he did not believe that when you receive Holy Communion, you are getting with the bread and the wine, the true body and true blood of Jesus. He said it's just a memorial. Luther refused to shake his hand and have fellowship with him. Because fundam fundamentally, it tells us that there's a completely different understanding of who Jesus is, how he works. Um, um, and, and that's why when we have communion, like we did this morning, Pastor Michael said, and it, uh, um, if uh, that you are welcome to come, if you believe, right, that you that in these in communion you receive the true body and true blood of Jesus, the um, and so there, there's been long-standing debates between us and other Protestants on on these issues, um, and this this is what the, this is the big dividing point between us and the other denominations. Um, Bob, you had your hand up. Yeah, I I could be wrong, but. I thought Martin Luther, in his writings, mm. he did not believe in transubstantiation. We do not believe in transubstantiation. Transubstantiation teaches that it looks like bread, but it's not really bread. It magically becomes the body and blood of Jesus in such a way that it looks like bread on the outside, but inside it's the body and blood of Jesus. Um, we don't believe that because it says too much. We believe that you get four things when you receive Holy Communion. Bread and wine, body and blood. What does an unbeliever receive in his mouth when he has communion? He receives the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Your faith does not make it, make it so. All right. So. So what's the difference of the other substantiation? It's not they, so, trans. It's called. So a Roman Catholic. Um, there is. It's just called real, real. Um, the real presence. Um, there is no word because we're not. There's a word for it. Believe me. Some people have it's claimed not, it's con consubstantiation, but it meant. is not. It, that, that says that. Uh, it's that says. Um, we'll get this more when we talk about. Uh, but some people have called our view that, but it, it, it's not quite. Um, but the point is that the reason, the, 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 the only reason we can say that Jesus is present, his body and blood are present in, with, and under the bread and the wine, 
is because he's both true God and true man at the same time. Now, whatever you say about the one nature, you can say about the other. So, is it proper to say that God died on the cross? Yes, God died on the cross. Why? Because in Jesus, he is both true God and true man. And his, although his human nature um, was, was put to death, Jesus never acts by one nature alone. Both natures are always working together. If you don't have this, then you don't have salvation. Because if, if only humanity can die, but God is infinite. And so you need the blood of Jesus to have an infinite value in order for it to cover your sins. And the only way that can happen is if Jesus is both true God and true man at the same time, and that he always works with both. Are you following me? So that means when, when we say, we can say that as in Acts 20, 28, that, um, that God purchased the church with his own blood. God has blood and he purchased the church. This is why we say, when we say that Mary is the mother of God, what we are not saying is that Mary gave birth to the divine nature. What we are saying is Mary gave birth to Jesus Christ, who is both God and man at the same time. And therefore, it is appropriate to call her the mother of God because Jesus is God. And if we can't call Mary the mother of God, then we, by the same logic, we cannot say that God died on the cross. It, the same reason why we say God died on the cross is the same reason why we can say Mary's the mother of God. Because she gave birth to the God-man, Jesus Christ. Errors on this point are at the bottom of the page there. Eutychianism, which means some people said that the human natures and divine natures kind of, kind of got all blended and mixed up together. Well, then he's neither. Nestorianism, which says there's two persons. One, there's two sons, two persons. There's God the Son, and there's the man Jesus, and they're they're united together like you would unite two two you'd glue two pieces of board together. And then there's the sacramentarians. That is the other Protestants who deny the communication of the attributes and deny. We'll get to that when we get to uh, Lord's Supper. But I want you to see there, the Council of Chalcedon gave us four terms to describe this. That these two natures, this, un this, this un union of these two natures in Christ, that the two natures are not confused with each other. There's no mixing of the two, ma two natures. They remain distinct even when they are in communion. They're unchanged in the sense that the deity is not transformed into humanity. Humanity is not transformed into deity. Right? They're indivisible. You cannot separate Jesus' human nature and his divine nature one from the other. And they're inseparable. This Jesus is always both God and man. When you go to heaven, you will see the man, Jesus Christ, and the nails and the, and the scars of the nails in his hand. When Revelation 21 says that God dwells among us, it's talking about Jesus. A verse that says all this, and we'll leave with this verse, is Philippians 
chapter 2. Um, the other answer to your question, um, Bob, is that our, our, our chief verse here, in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, every bodily. Right? So, um, so that, that, that's, that's an important verse. Philippians chapter 2. Um, uh, verses uh, 5 and onward. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation by taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under earth. And every tongue and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you, we, we could spend hours unpacking this. But um, do we have any more questions before we... Um, uh, we have maybe time for one or two more questions before we come back up here. It's important to see that, once again, when we say that Mary is the mother of God, we are not saying that Mary gave birth to the divine nature. We are not elevating Mary beyond her due. We are saying that Mary was chosen by God to give birth to the very Son of God Himself, not just and the, that Jesus, as a man, is also God at the same time, united together. Not just that God is is not that His deity is up in heaven and His humanity is on earth and He's using Him like a puppet. No, they're united together, um, and, and in such a way that when you see the man Jesus, you are seeing God. Um, and that's uh, very important um, for what we believe Jesus does. Yep. Sometimes you hear criticisms of the Catholic Church for elevate, elevating the status of Mary compared to what others do. What do they do? They will tend, what they'll do is, not on this point, but on other points, they'll say that Mary... Um, is um, can pray for you, and so this this goes back to the invocation of the saints that Mary, um, because Mary is Jesus's mother, you can appeal to her. You can you can ask her, just like if you would want to get a job or something, you might say, "Can you put in a good word for me?" So they believe that Mary, you can pray to her, and she can intercede for you and, and get you a, a better ticket. Uh, kind of thing. I'm being very, um, um, but so they, they will call her co co redeemer, uh, mediate mediatrix of grace. Um, they'll use all sorts of things um, to talk about her that we would find a bit inappropriate. And they'll they would they'll they'll when they pray to Mary, they'll ask you know by by your merits, Mary, you know help me. And they they, they kind of elevate her to a status that that would really make us uncomfortable. Um, but it doesn't, not on this point, 
this is, on this point, we would agree that Mary is the, the one who gave birth to the, the, the person who's both truly God and truly man at the exact same time. Um, My question is, where is your scripture backup? Where can they find in the Bible yeah. that uh, we pray to Mary? Oh, that, oh yeah, yes, I see. No, that's right. That's exactly right. Um, um, it's, nowhere, it's, it's nowhere in the scriptures. Yes. Uh, and you won't find in scripture, but if you go back to COVID, <clears throat> what did the Pope do? 